Hey, everybody. You've reached the Mayfair Podcast. I'm Eric. I'm Andrew. Hey, this is Josh. Happy May the 4th to everybody. I hope everyone's having a good Star Wars day. Sad that we can't do it around the Star Wars tree with our Star Wars families. But it's fun that we're recording it on the day. I didn't think of that until like an hour ago. And it's like, oh, that's kind of fun. Yeah. And it's actually, you know, because I'm a giant Star Wars nerd, I excitedly watched The Bad Batch. Not to talk about TV stuff, but, you know, it's Star Wars. You jerk. I was just talking about that before the podcast, but you didn't tell me you've already watched it. I can't say anything, though, because I don't want to. I'm so afraid at all times of spoiling stuff for anybody. So, <laughs> like, I just not that anybody who's listening to this probably won't have watched that already. But isn't there a movie called The Bad Batch? Yeah, I was talking about that, too. This is so weird with Keanu Reeves. Well, briefly. And Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey's in it. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, Jim Carrey. That was like, Jim went away for quite a while, and then he started sneaking back to doing... <laughs> Mr. Popper's Penguins. <laughs> oh, God. Even past that, because I remember the first thing back that I could think in my brain from a couple years ago, might not even have been that long, but they came out with that feature-length documentary about Andy Kaufman and Jim Carrey. Yeah. So that kind of hit the pop culture buzz, and then he started doing a couple of weird little movies like The Bad Batch, and then Sonic the Hedgehog, and now Jim Carrey's back. Yeah, that was weird how that happened. Because I'm, I'm pretty sure it was that was the follow-up movie by the woman who wrote and directed Girl Walk Home Alone at Night. Yeah, which I loved. Yes. Oh, so good. I'm not going to lie to you, I did not see The Bad Batch. I wanted to, but it kind of got mixed reviews. Not that I base anything on reviews, but... Have you ever seen the movie A Boy and His Dog? I never actually have. I'm aware of it, but I actually have not. It's kind of like that, but with a female protagonist. Hmm. Maybe that's a double bill. Instead of Don Johnson and a dog. <laughs> there you go. So like, yeah, I'll watch them back to back for a depressing double bill. It's like a post-apocalyptic kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some cannibalism. Keanu Reeves is in it as like a, some sort of culty guru or something. I don't know. It's been a while since I've seen it. He's not as like Dog Boy from Freak or whatever oh, it God. was. Or Wolf Boy. I remember that movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a gem. Keanu just had a great cameo a few months back. Actually, it was more than a cameo. He was in the whole thing, but in the latest SpongeBob movie. And once again, he kind of plays like a imaginary friend slash guru to SpongeBob and Patrick. But it's actually Keanu Reeves' head in the movie, like not just an animation. So it's a weird kind of blur. Keanu has a very good sense of humor about being Keanu. I think he's always had that. He's got the David Hasselhoff role in the new SpongeBob, I guess. I guess he kind of does, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and that first one was great. I didn't. I haven't seen the latest SpongeBob, but the first movie was spectacular. They're all really good. My only, my only complaint with the latest one is that it's CG, and there's nothing mm. wrong with it. It looks actually when I saw it on the big screen at the Mayfair, it looks great, very colorful and bright, and the animation's really superb. The animation is so good, it almost looks like claymation sometimes, mm-hmm. but. I loved the last couple of SpongeBob movies were 2D animation, and we see so little American 2D animation up on the big screen anymore that I kind of miss that. I would love if they would have stuck with that. Yeah, definitely. As long as the people keep coming out to see them, you know, <laughs> we'll keep playing them. Yeah, I think the next one is already set. I think they're already working on another feature-length SpongeBob. It's funny, these characters who you might say the word, oh, a new character or a new generation character, but they're already... 20 years old or 25 years old or whatever. I think SpongeBob just hit his 20th anniversary. Jeez, that's kind of frightening to think about. Yeah, makes you feel old. (laughs) Yeah, I'm trying not to think about that. 
one of my uh, favorite bands, The Coral, just put out their 10th album and it was to commemorate their 20th anniversary. And I was like, oh God, I remember the first <laughs> album really well. Like it is those moments where you're like, oh, 20, that's a big number. So Andrew, you made it through a COVID era house move unscathed? Yeah, I'm in a new location across town and I made it without getting the COVID. <laughs> yeah. We didn't give away specifics or anything, but we were chatting last week about now how you're closer to the cinema, but now you're going to be suckered anytime. It's like you won't have as much as an excuse not to work that midnight show or it's come, true, in, yeah. <laughs> come in at the last minute. We're like, we know where you live. You're closer. <laughs> Man, that'll be good, though, coming home from cinema or something like that. At least you won't have to deal with the buses or Ubers or God. Yeah, it'll be a lot easier. So I'm looking forward to that. Well, that's why I never mind really like, like I always joke midnight shows are a little bit past my bedtime nowadays, but working them's not too bad because for some of the staff who might live half an hour away or whatever, it's easy. I wish I li I only live like 10, 15 minutes away biking. Actually, it's like an eight minute bike ride if I do it really well, but I would love to live right around the corner, but right around the corner from the Mayfair is Euclid Street, which is a pretty rich street here in Ottawa. And those houses are big single houses. I would love to live a stone's throw from the Mayfair. It'd just be so easy just to be like, oh, it's 620. I'm heading to a 630 movie. But you could live in the chip truck, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> that's, that's like closer to the budget range there. You're like still insane. But Lee and I have joked that if it was structurally sound, we could build a couple of apartments on the roof of the Mayfair and just set up a fireman's pole. Oh, sweet. Or like even a <laughs> shanty town or something would be all right up there. You're like, oh, I mean, the rent's okay. Yeah. And we could have a zip line over to House of Targ or a reverse zip line to like get the takeout pierogies from Targ or takeout pizza from Panago and wheel them up to the roof shanty town. Not a bad idea. I mean, you could prepay for it too. So really, they just need to fire it up there. <laughs> These are all good ideas. So I'm still excited to see the scene that uh, Lee shot up there for his movie that will someday come out. I've seen a little bit of that and it's, you notice it all the time, but Lee's doing a tiny little no budget Lee DeMar B picture. <laughs> a Lee DeMar B picture is like a yeah. C picture. Is that what you're saying? Like <laughs> It's a beloved genre unto itself, but <laughs> he's got a shot from the roof. And nowadays low budget camera crews have this equipment that once upon a time would have been nothing but the biggest Hollywood crews having this kind of stuff. But you can buy a drone and slap a tiny little camera technology onto it. So he has a couple shots from the roof of the Mayfair that are drone shots and they look spectacular. Like I think he has one going from the street. So like from the sidewalk and from the Mayfair and then it goes up. So it looks like a giant crane shot and goes up mm -hmm. to the roof. And once upon a time that would cost three times the budget of Lee's movie. And now he gets to do this really neat shot. So yeah, it'll be nice. I don't know. Let's be positive and think maybe like fall 2022, maybe Lee will have a premiere at the Mayfair, maybe a bit further than that, but he's got a big chunk of it done. Yeah, it's true. Well, you know, like we say, uh, well, my wife and I both a lot are talking about just what a boon drones have been for independent filmmaking, just in general, like it adds so much perceived budget to your film. Even Neil Breen is using them. For sure. And his movies already looked so good and yeah. like high <laughs> yeah. budget affairs. Just when you thought he couldn't get any bigger. Right? Like, I don't know how he's able to keep banging these out so good. Yeah, that, that, I'm looking forward to that sequel to uh, whatever that last one was. Twisted Pear. Yeah, there we go. That would have killed me. I wish I could remember what movie this was, but it was a few years back 
we screened kind of like a it was like a romantic gothic horror film and there was a scene in a castle where the character's walking along and all of a sudden the camera because you've seen the establishing shot you know they're actually in this location and you see the camera go out over midair follow the actor along a walkway and then come back in another window and you know that they're five or six stories off the ground and for a second you're like how did they do that was that cg was that a fake set but it was just a drone and so the drone was in front of the actor walked a little bit down the hallway went out over midair watched them walk along through the windows and then came back in and it just added this extra level that once upon a time a medium low budget crew would never even think of doing something like that yeah, well, it reminds me of that bowling shot from a couple months ago, where it was like just a full drone shot coming in from the street all the way into the bowling alley, under the pins and around in a circle and again and again, and just through people and all this. And it's legit. It just took them a lot of tries, but it's an actual drone shot. And it's just insane. It's like Hollywood level. Was that just done as like a calling card of look what we can do? I think it might have been an ad for the bowling alley slash an ad for the filmmakers, whatever you want to call them. So I think it was a half half and they were just like, yeah, this would be cool. And it was. Yeah, that did look good. Around Mayfair land, things are still keeping busy. It's hilarious how during these lockdown times, I'm four times as busy as just screening movies. But we're all kind of soldiering along and just doing everything we can to get in every dollar that we can. And this week has been funny because last week, Marcus and I, our projectionists, and then Gwen and I went in and did a bunch of organizing and got all of our trailer stock figured out. We kept a bunch of it because there's some treasure that we want to keep, but we got it all organized, all somewhat alphabetized. And then on Friday, I guess, I put the list up on the internet on social media and on our website blog. And once again, genuinely, I was naive for the fourth or fifth time during this lockdown the same way I was with our seat sale or the popularity of our marquee for rentals, all that stuff. So I thought, oh, we'll sell some trailers. Some nerds will like this. And our lovely patrons just busted our website because too much traffic was going into it. (laughs) And people were coming back and everybody was nice. Everybody was so great. And just saying like, oh, I can't get the link to work. And I'm like, that's strange. And so like in the 10 years of doing this, this is the first time I've noticed this happen to our website. I'd cut and paste and put it up again and then it would break again. So managed to kind of put a PDF of the list we had up onto Facebook and a link on Twitter and stuff. So things worked out, but it's very nice. I said a couple of times on the internet that a small business having their website explode during these times because patrons are tripping over themselves to throw money at you is not the worst problem to have. It's that's pretty shocking. Even I was a little surprised. Like some of the people just going ham on those orders. Like it's just it's, it's awesome. Like and it, especially the preservation of film. That's always beautiful to see. Yeah, and it's just kind of you know the harsh reality is we had a ton of trailers. A bunch of them are titles which are very unlikely to ever be rolled through a camera ever again. Not that they're bad movies. But there's stuff that we have doubles or triples of, or they're just kind of that kind of movie where there's somebody out there who will like it and think it's a a treasure for them to find. But it's not a trailer like E.T. or Jurassic Park or something like that that would be tagged in front of a 35 millimeter screening of Indiana Jones that we might be having or something like that. So it's almost garage sale style. Make a bit of space. It's just collecting dust. We'll make a couple dollars. And it is kind of this fun karma wheel of it's very fun for our patrons to get a hold of them. 
And most of our patrons, I do not think, have a 35 millimeter projector in their house. But <laughs> if they really love Twilight or Incredible Hulk or Lilo and Stitch, I'm just trying to think of titles that went away. They have a reason and they'll put that on the shelf and they'll be able to go like, oh, I have a Twilight trailer, you know, and that's fun. Yeah, I kind of like the idea of uh, I'm not saying that someone should do this, but they could if they wanted, I guess. I like the idea of chopping them all up and then just getting tiny frames and giving them as gifts or something <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah, well, I remember there was a gimmick. God, this is so long. This is like 20 years ago, over 20 years ago. But there was a gimmick when Phantom Menace came out on VHS. And that was right at the tail end of VHS. I, I kind of look back at that and I'm like, wow, that was still video store era. But you could get this little set and it was the movie and a little behind the scenes book and a frame. And it was in a little cardboard frame and in that frame, one 35 millimeter frame. And I know that it wasn't just a reproduction because I think my mom had the same thing. So I looked and they were actually two different frames. So that's what they did. They took one and chopped it up. Somebody offered that idea to us. And it was like, oh, that seems like a lot of work. We'll just sell the trailers. Yeah. Well, and especially now that that's gone like gangbusters. I mean, <laughs> the road itself. It's all I did last weekend essentially was either I was at the Mayfair wrangling because a couple of people wanted to come pick him up. So we did the old... Um, curbside pickup yeah i forgot the name for a second you hand me the money and then i don't hand you back anything <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, wait a minute don't come in i'll just throw the thing at you and leave the money on the front steps yeah it's a good deal but so a handful of people did that because they wanted it for a birthday or mother's day coming up or whatever but oh, man. man it was so busy but it is it's easier to do it this way than the one-on-one -on -one is easy because then people can say like, oh, do you have this fallback one? And I can keep track of the list and there's no middleman to screw things up. We sold 150. So we made a good chunk of money over a couple of days. And if now over the next couple of weeks, if we sell another 50 or another 100 over a longer period of time, but we're in no rush to get rid of them. So, and everybody was ecstatic. Everybody, and everybody was so funny of, they would want a certain trailer and I would say, oh, sorry, we sold that one already. And they would be, to a person, would be like, oh, I'm so happy the sale's going well. I'll take a look <laughs> at the list again. Not one jerk being mad that they missed their favorite movie. That's awesome. So what do you mean you sold Mars Needs Mom? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, damn it. And I, to be honest, haven't picked one out for myself because I'm just kind of, it's of that mindset of, I wouldn't mind having one on the shelf maybe, but if there's a bunch of trailers at the Bayfair, I'm kind of like, yeah, they're kind of mine anyhow. So I can, that's my collection. That's our collection. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you can screen anything whenever, I guess, and pretend that it was 35 millimeters. So that's just as good. We've gotten just such nice emails and tweets and stuff around this sale. And as we continue along in this never-ending lockdown, which seems, by all accounts, some people smarter than me have said, pretty sure they're going to say like, yeah, June's a write-off as well. Maybe we'll be back for Canada Day or something. But such nice emails and stuff. And one person sent in, basically, I won't give the specifics just because it's an email, kind of technically a private thing, but that they love the Mayfair and they've been coming here throughout their childhood as they approach being grown up and now they're leaving town. And it was just such a nice email. I was so happy that the trailer they wanted was available because it would have been so sad if they didn't get it, but <laughs> the one they wanted was there. And you see that, and they had mentioned that they love Rocky Horror, and that meant a lot to them. I shared it with Sam, our absent friend, Shadowcast leader. And KFC, yeah, connoisseur. 
Yeah, and KFC connoisseur. <laughs> and he was touched and he asked if he might send her a little note in reply and all this kind of stuff. So, And it's so nice and it sounds so hokey, but when that happens, you stop for a second and you're like, oh, we are making a difference, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, no, it's and it sucked for that person that they didn't even know what the last time they were going to be at the Mayfair was, you know? Like, that's the kind of thing that sucks. Like, people that move away and they're like, oh, yeah, wow. So I guess the last thing I saw was whatever and you just you don't Mars appreciate it in moms. the moment yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, well i shouldn't have gone to see something else i guess but yeah so there is some sadness to that but i mean the last thing that i think i saw pre-lockdown was friday the 13th so i feel pretty good about that yeah and just everybody's very positive everybody's we got a nice tweet just saying that that you should follow the mayfair twitter because they're very positive and and they said a nice thing about the podcast. And, and I think it's true. Oh, nice. All of us are, whether we should be or not, none of us are kind of out there yelling at the powers that be or causing too much of a fuss in that sense. We're doing everything we can. We're getting all the grants and applications and talking to the powers that be. But we're not, you know, we're kind of like, we believe in the Mayfair and we believe in our patrons and we'll see you soon. We're not writing angry Grandpa Simpson letters. no. <laughs> Not that we're aware of. I mean, maybe Andrew was, but like, yeah. he had those two days with no internet. I mean, yeah, that was five days. Oh God, five I days. Yeah, we were talking. About, we were like, man, it's like he's in the 1800s. How do we even get a hold of him? Like, it was like I was Amish for a few days. <laughs> it was good, though. but like we were also saying, like, if anybody's going to be set for movies to watch not requiring internet, then you're set. It's true. For five days, that seems like five months <laughs> to be not having. A connection to your streaming services and just the internet oh my god well yeah during a pandemic especially like it's just like cutting off your leg you know well that's a little dramatic but <laughs> in, in the moment that seemed more apt but i'm like all right maybe it's not like that at all i'm continuously fascinated that businesses ran before the internet because haven't posted it in a while because we've been busy posting marquees and trailer sales and other things but i found a few more retro mayfair schedules for the month of may from way back years like 87 and 90 so i'll be posting those sometime oh, soon because i like lining them up i like going 33 years ago today you could go see but you look at it and we kind of forget that cut and paste in a digital term used to mean taking scissors and cutting something and then pasting it to something else mm -hmm. so when you think about five days like just imagine running the mayfair for five days without the internet to contact the staff to send out schedules to place orders to receive orders to download movie trailers to download movies like we're really approaching that era now where there, a lot of the independent companies are starting to just send us these giant downloads so we have to have like the best internet we can get but all these things and and you think back to the early 90s and you're like wow it used to be it makes sound so old but it used to be telephone and arts and crafts to make schedules and run a business and they looked awesome so i mean yeah there was that. but and still i mean oh my god and like as a side note 1987 was a hell of a year for film so i'm pretty excited about that yeah i think i have one from 87 and it's funny to look at the schedule where i said this before but it's interesting how a false memory or just a i guess a term but everyone calls them monthly schedules and none of them are monthly schedules which is so bizarre to be they look like monthly schedules. Yeah, but, but they're all kind of six weeks or seven weeks, and none of them start April 1st and go to April 30th. Like, there's one in front of me right now, and it's April 21st to May 30th. So that kind of ends with a month, but most of them are just random days, it seems. So 
it's funny how they weren't going month to month. They were just kind of like, they must have started. And whenever they started, they were like, okay, every six weeks we're putting out a schedule. I'd love to talk to someone from back then and see how they did it, how they arts and crafts it up. Maybe they have some cool swag or something too. That'd That'd be nice. Oh, it really was an age of swag back then that we don't have now. Like even just buttons and stuff like that. We rarely get anything to give out like little stickers or bookmarks or buttons. We do every once in a while, but kind of, uh, when was it Mandy? I think Mandy, we got some stuff. Yeah. And uh, I remember the endless of all things. We got a bunch of buttons. I was so glad I got a button for the endless because I really love that movie. Yeah. Endless sent buttons and every once in a while, there'll be like, a documentary or something and they send a bunch of bookmarks or something like that. Mm. But for the heyday when it was just all kinds of swag, everyone's all you'll be at a flea market or something and you'll just see a bunch of buttons for sale. And it's all like indie returns on May 4th or whatever. It's, it's all like they used to have that all that, or they would give it for the staff to wear. So they would have buttons out and you'd see, what is it? It's like office space. What did they call that? Flair. Flair. (laughs) Flair, yeah. (laughs) There was much more flair back in the 80s and 90s running a movie theater or a a multiplex kind of place, I think, that you don't see as much. And I think it's because everybody is just scrimping and saving for years. Like you would see Mm -hmm. that where they're, it's why uh, we don't get toys and cereal boxes anymore, right? Sad. And chip bags, too. That used to be sweet. Oh, yeah. You get not so much toys, but, you know, (laughs) stickers and stuff. I think the uh, statute of limitations has passed on this, but when I was in junior high, there was a promotion for Nintendo in chips. I think Hostess. Was that Hostess? Yeah, it was. So it was a little blue card. And you know, like if you get a scratch off lotto ticket, there's like the gray stuff you scratch off. Oh God. So, so you got to remember this was before the internet years before the internet. And I was, you know, 11 or 12, but it's amazing just the way that, insults or slang or urban legend spread so did this so on that little card that was blue i think you're only supposed to scratch off one or you're supposed to scratch off two to match them up or something like that and somebody learned if you took a little bit of tape and just patted it on the back of the card a few times the gray was still there the silver was still there but you held it up to light and you could totally see through it and they had a thing where it's like every game's a winner every card's a winner but statistically usually you would get the wrong thing but you did that so every time my friends and i got a bag of chips it would at least recycle through to another bag of chips or every once in a while we'll get a coke or something and this isn't even urban legend this is fact because i witnessed it that people in my school a couple won a nintendo wow i won a baseball cap and a friend of mine got a couple t-shirts man that's sweet and dozens of bags of chips of course and i'm sure somebody at hostess was like looking at the stats and being like why are we giving away so many things this doesn't make sense and then they figured it out but yeah i'll I'll always remember that weird scam i didn't know that i did really well with the 600 milliliter pops who cares what contest it was but i went on a streak one lunch hour i was going to the corner store next to the high school and i got legit eight or nine wins in a row and i just kept going back and like i mean technically the smart thing to do is to save it for a future but i had a bunch of friends with me and they were like let it ride and i was like (laughs) yeah and i was buying different ones i'd be like okay cream soda for this one root beer for this one and i kept winning every time and the dude was getting pissed (laughs) by the end even though like it's covered but he was like angry at me for continually going in i come in and he would roll his eyes and i i swear i got eight or nine in a row and and then I had all these damn open pops. And what the hell am I going to do with that? It's such a waste. There was always like a grumpy convenience store clerk who just <laughs> didn't like to see like a happy kid get free pop. 
Yeah, I think he felt like I was taking money from the business, even though I wasn't. But he was he was not pleased. The first two, you know, he was kind of like, eh, and then he was just like, oh, what a jerk. <laughs> you needed to spread it out more. Yeah, exactly. I haven't thought about that till you just mentioned it right now, Andrew. But I had this flashback memory of like, yeah, of going into a corner store with a bottle cap liner that said free 600 milliliter Coke or whatever it was and putting down a couple dollars to buy like a comic book or whatever and the bottle cap thing and the guy taking my money in an angry pulling it off the counter and looking at the bottle cap liner and like really inspecting it (laughs) and then kind of grumbling to himself and letting me leave and even though I was whatever 10 or 11 I remember being like what does this guy care? This is not coming out of his pocket. He's working at a Max Milk, you know? It's not like, oh, you gave away 25 Cokes. Let's see, uh, subtract $25 from your paycheck. Oh my God. It was totally a Max Milk that I won all the pops from too, by the way. It's, uh, I like that you said that. God, that's funny. I hadn't thought about that forever, but now, now it's like <laughs> this poor guy being angry at kids getting free stuff from his store. Yeah, I think they just didn't really like kids in the store in general. Yeah. And I mean, to be fair, I think there was a fair amount of stealing because it was next to a high school. But oh, I'm sure. Yeah, not me. You know, you had to leave. your Oh, not me. It's never you. (laughs) It wasn't me. I mean, I swear. But it always was annoying because you're like, why do I have to take my bag off? Like, I'm not a stealer. I'm a good kid. But it's just because I didn't know how to steal, probably, for all I know. But I remember, God, this was before junior high. So this is like grade school. I was in grade, grade five or six. And there was a Zeller's within a couple blocks from my school. And we weren't allowed to, but we would sneak out at lunch and go check out the Zeller's and buy a G.I. Joe or just walk around. <laughs> and I went once with a kid who I can't remember his name. It was years ago. But I remember I ditched because I was chicken, but he stole $300 in toys. Just Jesus. I swear, just literally shoving his coat pockets and his shirt so he walked out like a little rascals cartoon and looked like 40 pounds heavier and then at the school he's ripping open transformers and thundercats and whatever and i just remember being like just you're gonna go to jail this is crazy this is gonna go on your permanent record and i just remember that of i was a good kid because i didn't encourage it i just got the hell out of dodge but yeah he came back to school with toys and i was like oh man you're you're a bad kid but at the same time, you were like, oh, God, really wish I had those toys. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I admire you, but do not approve of your thievery. Yeah, I didn't have the guts at all. Like, I was definitely not that kid, but I knew kids. I was just the, like, no, we shouldn't be doing this. Like, <laughs> I was definitely that kid. Oh, God. But hey, you know, I don't have a record and, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's all it's all good. So that's something. Yeah, that guy's totally in toy jail now. Yeah, I wonder whatever came of that guy. I mean, those <laughs> toys are worth quite a bit now, I would think. He's probably like the mayor or something. Yeah, yeah, mostly. <laughs> He's the guy who's keeping us in lockdown, you know, when everything yeah. else got to open up and we were still nice. That guy, he's like, ah, oh, that Josh ratted me, I can tell. <laughs> I still remember. Okay, let's do some non-Mayfair cinema because we're not showing movies recommendations uh, before we wrap things up. Nice. Andrew, do you want to go first? Yeah, I saw Nomadland, which... Oh, never heard of it. ...was the big uh, Academy Award winner. And it was awful? I liked it. Yeah, it was yeah. I was hoping we could get a hot take out of you there where you were like, brutal film. Worst movie ever. Yeah. It was like, Nomad, more like, wish I hadn't watched it, Land. No interest, Land. <laughs> no interest, Land. That's, uh, yeah, no, but I've heard good things. And we all, we all love uh, Francis McDormand. Yeah. And David, I don't know if it's pronounced Straithern or Str- Stratheran. From Sneakers. Yeah. Oh, he's, there you he's go. good. He's, well, he's good in everything. 
Yeah, Sneakers is David Strather and says. <laughs> and, I, and I think there's real nomads in it. Oh, yes, there it's, is. It's yeah. based on like a real way of life. These people who just live in their RVs or live in their vans. There is a scene where, uh, spoiler alert, Francis McDormand uh, has to make potty. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think that was her Oscar clip. That was her Oscar <laughs> moment. Oh, my God. That's delightful. Well, the opposite end of the spectrum. See, I like doing one good one, one bad one. So the bad one that I watched was I rewatched The Terror, the uh, Corman uh, Jack Nicholson one. Oh, man. Yeah. And so like that, I didn't realize till I was watching it. I basically saw a YouTube video about this guy watching the Spanish version and he thought it was funny and all that, whatever. But I was like, oh, yeah, I should rewatch The Terror. And rewatching it, I remember that not only had my dad gotten me the VHS when I was a kid, but also there was this show called Attack of the Killer B movies that used to play on, I don't know, channel three or something. I only got four channels. And so uh, they would play like B movies, obviously. And that was one that I saw, but I never knew the title. I just remember this line where the guy goes, she knows not what she does. Her will is not her own. And I never knew the movie and watching it because of other reasons. I was like, oh my God, that's the movie. So I had this whole crazy circumstance. I mean, not a great film, but really nice transfer. And I mean, it was cool to see that again. Yeah, that's Jack Nicholson playing a uh, Napoleon, one of Napoleon's soldiers. Yeah, and it, it has like five directors, literally. Yeah, Francis Ford Coppola worked on it. And Jack Hill, who directed Coffee, I think he oh, worked yeah. on it. Yeah, some like pretty big enough, it's well to us, big names, you know, like where I was like, I know that person, you know, so it's like pretty fascinating. It doesn't make a ton of sense, but it was fun. And it's connected to another movie. There's a movie called Targets. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love that movie. That Peter Bogdanovich directed. And they incorporate footage from the terror in that movie, which was Roger Carman's way of, okay, I'll, I'll get like 20% more movie if I just take one of my older movies and Man. recycle footage from it. And he literally only made the terror because they had two days of free shooting left after finishing a movie. So he's like, let's just shoot for two days. And then it ended up taking months to finish. And Yeah, it was good that way. Yeah. Yeah, um, and then the other movie I watched that was actually good was Nobody with Bob Odenkirk. Oh, I want to see John that. Wayne, oh, I haven't seen that yet. It's really good, obviously. Like, Well, I mean, you have to like that kind of movie, but it was a lot of fun. God, yeah, I want to see that. Who directed that? Uh, Someone involved with John Wick, I think? That's what I thought. The writers or the director or both were the people who did John Wick, but that's not an answer, really. <laughs> yeah, people can look it up on IMDb. It's fine, it's fine. What's yours, uh, Josh? I swear to God, I haven't watched hardly any movies. I'm just kind of catching up on TV and watching a ton of Mystery Science Theater because they're doing a Kickstarter right now. That's right. They're putting out all this content of kind of streaming and game show stuff and movies with talk-alongs, which is funny because you're watching a movie that kind of already has commentary with a new commentary over it. <laughs> That's weird. All kinds of good stuff. But in like a week, the one movie I watched was Gwen and I watched Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Oh, nice. And I loved it. I love Kristen Wiig. And this is from herself and Annie Momolo, who wrote Bridesmaids, who, who got an Oscar mm. nomination for writing Bridesmaids, which never happens for a comedy. It's just a real fun, over-the-top, goofy comedy with a lot of talented, funny people in it. My only sadness in watching it is it's totally the kind of weird little movie that we would have screened at the Mayfair. And much like kind of horror films, horror films and comedy both have that so much better with a crowd. Yeah. Mm. So although we were laughing, I just wish we were laughing alongside 50 or 100 people because it, it's really that kind of movie that is just weird, funny laughter all the way through. And 
So I, I highly recommend it. And these two ladies just got signed up to write and star in a evil stepsisters movie for Disney live action. Oh, nice. I think that's going to be really funny. Look at a picture of them in Barb and Star, and you're like, yep, they look like they could be two weird Cinderella stepsisters. So Definitely. That was a good double bill with Palm Springs. That was another good comedy that went by the wayside because of COVID. Yeah. And then, not a movie, but we're halfway through watching Feud, which is oh yeah about oh, movies. So good. If you're a fan of classic film at all, or just really great acting, Jessica Lange and Susan Sarandon are so good. That's the Betty Davis one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I've heard of that, yeah. So good. You would love it, Andrew. It's so good. And it's just like big Hollywood with big sets and everyone's smoking cigars and Stanley <laughs> Tucci plays this horrible, evil Jack Warner. Just, yeah, really, really fun. And, and it's, uh, like I said, I'm only halfway through, but it's it's a really good Hollywood history behind the scenes thing about, sadly, how nothing has changed about how it's still really horrible in Hollywood for middle-aged and older ladies as it has been the whole time. Yeah. Wah, wah. What a note to end on. Nice one, Judge. <laughs> Sorry, talented actresses. Things, even, even if it weren't for COVID, things would still suck. <laughs> but we have Frances McDormand. At least we live in a world where... True. We once again didn't talk about the Oscars, but at least we're making baby steps where a lot of very talented women and non-old white dudes did win awards this year. So that's something. Huge. So I guess we'll wrap things up for this week. Thanks for listening, everybody. You can always find us on the internets at mayfortheater.ca, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. All the updates will be on there for when we're coming back and the ongoing weird little sales we're having, like selling marquee tiles and selling movie trailers. So if you need any information on that, contact us there. And we look forward to having you back in the Mayfair Theater soon. And we'll see you next week for another edition of the Mayfair Lockdown Podcast. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye for now. I can't wait till we come back so we can program Mars Needs Moms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We can show anything. I really think it was just ahead of its time. Sister, sister, oh so fair. Why is there blood all over your hair? Whatever happened to baby Jane? To seek the answer to that question, we will follow a man plotting a murder. Highly specialized work. Robert Aldridge has considerable experience in such matters. He has a dozen successful pictures to his credit. His stars are Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. The scene, an Italianate villa in a once fashionable section of Los Angeles. Its halls, once crowded with the bright, the beautiful, and the celebrated, now echo only to hectic whispers. The insistent call of a buzzer, better left unanswered. A telephone that has become an object of fear. A supper tray that will not be touched. A window barred against the world. A hammer. A mute scrawl crying for help. From these elements, director Aldrich has fashioned a motion picture with a curious title. Whatever happened to baby Jane? Betty Davis is Jane Hudson. Joan Crawford is Blanche Hudson. But we must warn you. If you're long-standing fans of Miss Davis and Miss Crawford, this motion picture is quite unlike anything they have ever done. It is a bold essay in the art of the macabre, a venture to the ultimate reaches of terror. A motion picture definitely not for the squeamish. And we beg you, as the tension builds to the screaming point, as shock after shock assaults your senses, try to remember that this is only a motion picture. Try. 
and remember. No, we, uh, we can't show you anymore. Only when you see whatever happened to baby Jane will you know. And the answer is total suspense.